Welcome to the Busy Business Women podcast, where you have VIP access to discover the wins and wisdom that have helped successful business brains build businesses that boom. With your host, Faye Hollands from busybusinesswomen.biz. Hi, I'm Faye Hollands and welcome to episode 43 of the Busy Business Women podcast. And today we are rolling our sleeves up and talking money. Now, I know that's a dirty word for some of you, but it's a topic that we all need to wrap our heads around and get more comfortable with in business and in life. So today we have Natasha Jansons from Women With Sense on the podcast today. And she is a fabulous author of the new book, Wonder Woman's Guide to Money and an award-winning finance expert. We are very lucky to have her here with us today. Now, after arriving in Australia as an 18-year-old refugee without her family, Natasha learned firsthand the complexities of navigating the Australian financial system and the challenges faced by Australian women. Her passion for education and helping others led her to start Women With Sense, an online community dedicated to empowering Australian women through education. Natasha is a regular contributor in the media, with her advice being featured in numerous media outlets, including Elle magazine, the Sydney Morning Herald, ABC Radio, Mamma Mia, and Today Tonight, to mention just a few. Through a combination of free resources, online courses, webinars, personal coaching, and public events, Natasha has helped thousands of women across Australia facing various financial challenges from having financially controlling partners to the risk of bankruptcy through to cutting back spending or pinpointing specific wealth building strategies. She's on a mission to help all Australian women have access to professional financial advice regardless of their age, income or circumstances. This is a really important topic for us all to wrap our heads around so it gives me great pleasure to welcome Natasha Jansons from Women With Sense onto the podcast today. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. What an intro. You are quite the powerhouse. I'm stoked to have you here. And for those of you watching the video, you'll, video, you'll notice we are also in coordinating red, which is Tash's branding colours as well. So <laughs> thank you for wearing your fabulous red and being here with us. I have so many questions to ask you today. As always on my podcast, I do get a little bit excited. So should we crack straight in and uh, start trying to get all of the goodness when it comes to money out of you. Is that okay? Absolutely. Go for Let's it. Get started. Awesome. Okay. Now, before we get talking about business, which you know I love talking about, I want to back up a little bit and find out more about your, your background as you've got a very interesting story that I want to dig deeper into. So you arrived in Australia as an 18-year-old refugee, had no money, no knowledge of Australia's financial system in an unfamiliar country without a support network. How on earth did you go about settling in quickly and finding your feet financially? Because that sounds like a tough gig and a headache to me. Yeah. Do you know what? It was a bit of a savior for me as well, because when I came here, so I'm originally, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. So yeah. I'm originally from the old Yugoslavia. And so my ah. dad was a Serbian diplomat. Okay. Now, even though he was a diplomat, you usually sort of managed imagine a particular sort of lifestyle when it comes to diplomats but when you come from a you know poor country like we were we were poor diplomats you know we were um and I had a very interesting upbringing so I was actually born in Uganda I did primary school in Sri Lanka and then in between that so essentially up until my teenage years everywhere I went all I knew was war and poverty because we're always in war-torn countries and 
in between that, in between postings, we'd be back home where, again, there was a lot of instability um, and war as well. So that was all I knew. So when I was a teenager, my dad was actually posted to Canberra briefly. And you can imagine my reaction to coming to this beautiful country. Like I just never wanted to leave. Like this was the sort of life that I never thought would be possible. It was the sort of thing you sort of only saw in the movies and would dream about. Yeah. And so we returned when I was 17 and I remember saying to my dad, you know, like, I just, I want to stay here. I want to come back. And he's like, you know, until you're 18, you go where I tell you to go. And <laughs> And I'm an only child as well. So stubborn, you know, teenager goes, fine, you mark my words. The moment I turn 18, I'm on the first flight back to Australia. <laughs> now, when they say careful what you wish for and what you put out there, I didn't believe myself. I didn't believe my own words. I thought I would never come back. And one of my fears was because Yugoslavia was so insta- unstable and, you know, we'd have sanctions, we'd have borders being closed. And I had this real fear of just being trapped and locked in there and my biggest fear has always been to be a sitting duck in my own life and have other people determine you know what happens to me which is why I'm so passionate about women taking more of an active interest in their finances and their financial well-being because again it's about if you're passive and you're sitting on autopilot then you're essentially a sitting duck in your own life you know you're letting other factors direct where you're going to go rather than you being the one in charge so yeah, and would you know, three weeks after my 18th birthday, like this was, this became a bit of a running joke in my family because I was so obsessed and determined to come back to Australia and I had better odds of winning a lotto. We didn't have any money. I had no means literally of coming here mm. and it just, it wasn't a possibility in any way. But I was obsessed. I persisted. I had two, I was working two full-time jobs at a time when unemployment was over 20% and everyone I knew was complaining about how they couldn't get a job. And there's little me working two full-time jobs. So again, that sort of persistence and stubbornness and just the, I, I had a desperation to get back to Australia. Mm. So for my 18th birthday, my mum and my aunties, like they made me cakes, like my mum made me a cake in the shape of Australia, had like the Australian. Oh, wow. My auntie made me like a, you know, travel bag or suitcase kind of cake. Like it was a joke, like, you know, as if you, this is the closest you'll get to getting back to Australia essentially. And three weeks after my 18th birthday, we were bombed. I became separated from my family and I found myself crossing uh, the border to Hungary. And a few days after that, the borders were closed. And I stayed in Hungary for six weeks in the end before I managed to find my way way back to Australia because it was the last place that I knew. I didn't, you know, speak Hungarian. I had no way and my visa was going to run out in like four weeks. So, and there was... It was a very uncertain time. Like we didn't know how long the borders would be closed. I didn't know what was happening to my family. I'd watch CNN and see that my town was bombed. And then, of course, the phone lines are down. You can't get a hold of any, everyone. And you just you, don't know. I've got to ask because I've got chills right now. Were you reunited with your family at that point or no, were you no. from them? So um, I managed to, in the end, when we sorted out how I was going to get back to Australia, Mum managed to meet me very briefly at the border, just essentially hand me a suitcase. And and that was that. So I can't imagine what the bus drive for mum would have been going back home, 
you know, wondering if she was ever going to see her daughter again. Oh, and oh wow. Amongst all of that, there's bombs. And I remember when I was at the border crossing. So if you imagine the border crossing, it's like the big, um, you know, toll booths that you have like in Sydney and Melbourne, you know, on the freeway or back before they had E-Way. So it's not the sort of thing. It's made for, you know, big trucks and vehicles. You're not, you know, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a pedestrian drive-through. Yeah. And, yeah, and I managed to cross the border and I was waiting for people to sort of pick me up at the other side. And one by one, everyone who had arrived at the border had gone. And we were bombed. As soon as sun, like the sunset, we'd be bombed. So I was standing there, the sun is setting, and I'm seeing the fighter jets flying overhead. And, yeah, it was just... And I essentially smuggled my way into Hungary. So there were a few checkpoints and there were military people on the lookout for Serbs to send them back. Yeah. And fortunately I spoke English really well, so I managed to sort of bluff my way through it and was lucky that no one asked for my passport. And, um, yeah, so that was a bit of a story. So by the time I got to Australia... I, I technically, I didn't qualify. I mean, essentially I was a refugee under those circumstances, but the visa requirements said that to be a refugee, my house had to have been bombed first and, you know, <gasps> destroyed. So I didn't qualify under that. So it meant that I didn't qualify for Centrelink. I didn't, like I had to basically, I managed to scrape money to sort of get started on a student visa and the rules were very different back in those days as well. So I basically just had to work and support my way through sort of going to school. So, and that was my, that was my saving grace because to spend every single day wondering what's happening to my family, you know, and this went on for months, it would have destroyed me, but I had to focus on surviving. So, you know, Within 24 hours of getting to Australia, jet lag and all, I had a job interview. Like the first thing I did was pick up a newspaper and look for a job and, you know, and I had to sort out, you know, where I was going to live and how I was going to survive financially and, you know, literally hit the ground running. And the thing is that at the same time, I couldn't afford to miss classes. You know, if I failed an exam, that's it. My visa was cancelled. So, you know, I was sort of really juggling sort of, a couple of things as far as making sure that I was earning enough to support myself and pay for the next semester's tuition, but then also um, make sure that I was getting my study done and, um, yeah, and managing to sort of (laughs) qualify for my visa. So, and, and it took me a while. Like they kept moving the posts on me. Like I started out studying software development because back in those days you could just go to TAFE and get residency. Yeah. And by the time I finished my diploma, they said, oh, no, we don't need any more software, you know, people. That's it. <laughs> and you're like, have I not already been through enough? Yeah. So it went on, I think it took me about eight years in the end. I managed to get citizenship just as they were introducing the citizenship test. And I was like, if I have to jump through one more hoop, like, come on. I used to joke oh, my, my goodness. It was going to be to get a job in immigration, which I never did. But um <laughs> Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was a, it was an adventure. That's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I'm floored. Like, honestly, you could have just derailed the podcast completely. because <laughs> I've got so many questions for you about your, you know, not starting life. Well, actually all of it. This is yeah. probably a whole other conversation over wine and dinner, but, um, you know, I'm sure that 99% of our listeners um, have just realized how easy their life is or has been. 
Um, and that's incredibly inspiring to hear that you've been through all that you have and you just kept pushing and pushing when so many would have given up. I literally have so many questions and I'm like, well, do I go there or shall I just stay on track about business and productivity and money? Well, I was just going to say, this is why I get so frustrated with my clients and why I get so excited about people creating their dream life because obviously financial matters sort of lie at the heart of it and it can either enable us to achieve what we want or it can take us in the opposite direction. And too often we get bogged down in you know, our own self-doubts and negative beliefs around money and, you know, and our to-do list and everything else, which could be a convenient sort of justification for why we don't go and pursue something. Yeah. But I've seen firsthand that you can literally go and create what you want. It doesn't matter how high the odds are stacked against you. If you just go and persist and actually go through the steps that you need to get there, there's a very good chance that you're going to succeed. And that's the only thing, like I keep thinking, what's the difference between someone like Oprah who's gone from nothing to celebrity and the rest of us? As they say, we've all got the same number of hours in a day. What's the difference between me who was working two jobs and everyone else who was complaining that they couldn't get a single job? Yeah. The reality was they weren't even really trying, you know, because they were going, it's just too hard. Look at the unemployment right now, you know, or I applied for one thing and that's it. It didn't work. So... There's a lot that you can do. And in Australia, we're so fortunate. You know, we are the lucky country. We are the envy of the rest of the world. And I try and get people to remember, even if we're talking about a potential recession in Australia, Mm. Australia during a recession is still better than most of the rest of the world on a good day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, don't let that get into your mind, especially if you've got a business, for example, it'd be really easy for everyone to go and shop because everyone's saying, oh, well, we're headed for a recession. Now's not the time to start a business. Mm. You're going to struggle to get clients. I mean, if we all go and do that, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. The whole thing will collapse. So, I remember during yeah. the GFC, um, and that was, oh, I can't remember how many years into business, but I was still relatively new in business. And, you know, for people that have listened to my story, it was kind of struggle straight at the start. And I refused to give in to that chatter that everybody had of, you know, we're in a recession, businesses are closing all around us. I know they were, but I think what the now that you've hit on the head there in terms of your introduction, wow, we've got into this, like we've got into a whole other topic before I thought we even would, but it's about, you know, your leadership skills and your mindset, you know, your tenacity and persistence to keep going, the headspace that you were in when you crossed the border, when you applied for that job, the minute you got off the plane, you know, each of those type points on that timeline, in my mind, you've just kept pushing and going and going after what you wanted back to when you were having birthday cakes shaped in the, you know, as Australia, um, you, you had that in your mind and you kept going and you didn't give up when it got tough. And I think drawing that back into small business statistics in Australia and the failure rates, I think sometimes we, actually, I don't think I know that a lot of times People are expecting the ride to growing a successful business to be easier. They get excited about, they've created a business around something they're very passionate about. But then when it gets tough, because it often does, that's when, uh, you know, mindset becomes an important part of the, the mix, the ingredients. And if you're not looking after your mindset, then the will start to turn, fall off. And before you know it, it's got too hard and it's easier to go back and work for someone else. Clearly, mm. my ranty pants on again. But I'm sure that you see this time and time again, not just in business, but when you're running your workshops and you're talking about 
to women about the aspirations they've got and the life they want to lead, sometimes it just seems a bit too hard and people give up. No, that's it. And part of the challenge is the reality of living in the age of social media. And it's the same thing from a business and a personal point of view. You've got two things at play. One is that we don't talk about money. So we'll go and network and, you know, we'll talk with friends and family or you'll go to a business networking thing. But no one really, because we equate our net worth to our self-worth, we don't feel comfortable and confident to talk about the times are tough or this is how I'm going, you know. And so what we're doing is all of us are comparing ourselves against everyone else's highlight reel. So you're comparing your failure and your bad day against your, you know, mate in business who's posted something on Instagram and, hey, it looks like everything is going awesome. Mm -hmm. But they're not saying to you that they've got a massive overdraft account and that they, you know, they don't know how they're going to meet next month's rent bill and all the other stuff that's going beneath the surface. It's not the sort of stuff you're going to promote on social media. Yeah. So, And that's where it's so important to do what you're doing and to have women talking more about these sorts of things and to talk openly about it. Because when we realise that everyone else is going through the same challenges, Mm. suddenly, you know what, your problems are that much easier to tackle because you realise that it's not about you. You're not a failure. You're, it's not that you suck a business. This is where all that negative money chatter comes into it mm. and those negative beliefs, oh, I could never be a successful business person, I can never pull this off. Every negative thing and every fear that all of our well-meaning friends and family have sort of pressed onto us because that's what often happens. you got to start a business and everyone else projects their own fears onto you. Yeah. We start to sort of take all of that in. So, yeah, I think reminding yourself and really questioning any time you start to be very self-critical as to, well, hang on, let's do a bit of a reality check on this. Mm-hmm. Is that really the case or is it just the story that I'm telling myself because where I'm at emotionally at this point in time? I love it. And I know that we'll talk about this in a, a bit more, in fact, probably in a moment, but um, I know when we first talked, mindset is such an important part of your business so it's not just about teaching women the strategies and the kind of hacks and tips and things that they can put into practice. But if their their mindset and their limiting beliefs are about money are in the wrong place, then that's going to bring all that great work tumbling down very quickly. And that's the thing. I wasn't always big on mindset. I started off purely under financial education and sort of general financial advice and I was convinced that, you know, if women just understood offset accounts better and if they understood tax better and all this sort of stuff, then then they would then be free to go and, you know, create what they wanted until I realised that I would teach them all this amazing stuff and they'd get really excited about it and then they would go and do nothing with it. Yeah. And that was when the journey into the mindset sort of began because it's like, okay, we now need to push past all the fears and the excuses and everything else that's sitting behind it because you can read every finance blog out there, every finance book out there and still be in the same situation because unless you go and do something with that knowledge, it's worthless to you. Yeah. And it's out and it's often our psychology that's holding us back. And for women, it's really easy for us to hide behind our mental load, you know, and it's, I don't know if you saw that cartoon, I think it was called Emma. It was a French cartoonist um, <clears throat> that did it that was illustrating the struggle of sort of the modern day woman because, you know, we go around the house and, you know, we're spotting all the things that need doing and this is all the stuff that I carry on my plate, not just my business or not just my kid. Yeah. And it was great because women, you know, it resonated with women 
but I also feel that it then gave us a really justifiable excuse. It's like, well, you know, I don't have time to look into budgeting or tax or anything. You know, I've got this huge mental load to deal with. I'm juggling the business Mm -hmm. and I'm juggling the kids. You know, I I couldn't possibly do anything else. And it's like, all right, it's time that we call bullshit on that and go, actually, you can. You do have a huge mental load, but guess who's choosing to take it on or not? Now, yes, we have a lot of conditioning and there's a lot of, I mean, I faced a lot of guilt with trying to let go and, you know, let my husband contribute to the household and that sort of thing. So I'm not saying there's no personal work that needs to be done to get there, Mm. but my main point is that it's not impossible. It is within your abilities to go and do that. You just have to say that this is more of a priority than the laundry. And maybe, yeah, we have to compromise on our standards because, again, we're holding ourselves to... You know, every magazine that's been printed in the history of women that's holding us to, you know, these perfect households and you have to look perfect and your house has to be perfect all the time. And I've had to, you know, I'll quite happily show you around here that it's like, oh, likewise. You know there's, mess, <laughs> there's mess everywhere. And at times it bugs me as far as just having clarity to be able to work. Yeah. As far as my house pride and everything goes, I've had to go, you know, what is more important? that I get this stuff done, that I spend time with my kids, that I spend time with my husband, or yeah, yeah. that I have a house that looks like a display home that no one lives in. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm converted. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting what you said, actually, because the cogs are really turning in my brain right now. I went to see M. Rusciano at the State Theatre in Sydney a couple of weekends ago with some girlfriends, awesome weekend away. And she was talking during, you know, she's a singer and comedian, And she was talking during her show about the mental load that women have. And it resonated with all of us. You literally feel like this mental load is just weighing you down. And um, I was like, yes, that mental load that I've got, you know, literally dragging it like a ball and chain behind me. But I I completely agree with you. And I've, I've found myself, as you've just said, about giving, it gives us that excuse that I have used that in the last couple of weeks of my mental load is huge right now. So I'm procrastinating over things. And I literally can cast my eye to the right hand side of where I am right now. And there's some personal paperwork that is super funds, bills, different stuff that I need to go and get like new insurances. I need to get new quotes. I need to, you know, pay attention to those things. Otherwise they're going to cost me more money than they need to. But the mental load is saying to me, put it off, put it off. Uh, you know, don't worry about it, Faye, because you've got all this other stuff to think about. But the reality is, I mean, one, I can't do it all. Two, I'm a control freak and should get my husband to do more of it. And three, I find time to do things that are less important than that stuff that's going to save me money and have an impact on me personally. So that's, you, that's a big kick up the backside because I have been using that mental load excuse. And I think there's a fine line. We don't want to trip everyone over into burnout land. Um, But, you know, if I can find time to scroll on social media, I can also find time to look at different house insurance renewals, right? Oh, well, that's the thing. So then it becomes about then taking a moment to check in with yourself and go, what am I feeling about that pile of papers there? Because underneath that, and the reason why we then put it off, often there'll be some sort of fear or something that's there. So either it's a fear of, well, if I have to review my insurances, then I might make a mistake. I might pick the wrong one. What if it's not the best deal? Same sort of thing with super funds. We get into analysis, paralysis and overwhelm. And it's like, oh, I don't know how to pick the right fund. And it's like, it doesn't have to be the perfect fund. You don't have to, this is the thing. It doesn't have to be the perfect insurance policy. There is no, I don't think there is such a thing. So it's, 
But it's first about realizing what is the emotion underneath that and then starting to unpack that. Because when you do, then it'll be so much easier. There's so many women that put off, you know, reviewing their cash flow. And it's like, I don't know how much money we're spending because it's more about, I don't want to know. I'm afraid that I'm going to find out that I'm living outside of my means. Mm. I'm afraid that I'm going to find out that, you know, this whole thing is going to come unravel or whatever the situation might be. And so often when they go and do it, you know what? It was nowhere near as bad as what we made it out to be in our heads. It didn't take nearly as long. What we found wasn't anywhere near as bad as what we imagined. Like it wasn't as big a deal. And then the more you start to do that, the more your self-confidence builds up. Because for women, self-confidence is a huge thing. I mean, I'm a finance expert. Like I I live and breathe like anything money related. And I'll still, if I sit there in front of a guy and he can be a client, he could be another colleague, so often it's easy for me to go, maybe he's right. Maybe, hang on, did I really, was I really right about that? And because they're so good at, you know, having that bravado and that self-confidence and yeah, yeah. Um, I recently I went um, to sort of look at a bit of car shopping just so I could do a bit mm-hmm. of a blog and, you know, and I went into like the dealership yards and, okay, I have a background in accounting. I know salary packaging back to front. I used to do fringe benefit returns. I get how all this stuff works. Yeah. There's a salesman who knows nothing about it going and every single one of them, same sort of thing, really, you know, big and sort of bearing down on me and going, oh, why, why would you want a salary package? No, no, no. You want to go and claim depreciation and blah, blah. I'm like, it's a private use vehicle. There is in this scenario, like there is no, but if you didn't know what he was talking about and you weren't really sure in yourself, mm. so easy for these people who had another agenda or didn't really even know really what they were talking about to come and sort of start making you doubt yourself. And these guys were starting to make me doubt myself. I was like, hang on, let me just double check this. I don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. What am I saying? But it's that that self-doubt and that self-confidence. And it's an issue more so for women than it is for men. Like there were studies done around financial literacy. And they found that women with high levels of financial literacy were ranking themselves, when, when they asked them, how well do you think you did? We've ranked ourselves on par with men with low levels of financial literacy because we second guess ourselves that much. Yeah. And part of that is because we're not in the habit of dealing with money. So we're more comfortable looking after things around the household and shopping for birthday presents and, and all that sort of stuff that we're used to dealing with. When you don't deal with money very often or financial matters like super or investing, then it's very easy to get overwhelmed and second guess yourself even more. So then the only way to overcome that is to spend more time doing it and then it will become more comfortable for you. It won't be a foreign language. It'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what this is about and if I'm not confident whether I'm making the right decision, I know now how to check in and make sure I've got my facts right. I totally agree. I mean, one of my phrases that I live by and I go on about this all the time is ordinary things consistently done produce extraordinary results. And I love it because I think it completely relates to what you're saying about money is that you don't need to go and do something that's really difficult, that's rocket science, but it's the ordinary things that you just do regularly and you build that financial muscle up or, you know, in my world, build that marketing or productivity Mm -hmm. muscle up that in time gets you amazing results. And I think it just takes the pressure off of us having to, you know, for example, for somebody having 
very little financial literacy, maybe not managing any finances in their business or their personal life at all, feeling that they've got to make this enormous jump into suddenly having their head around everything. Mm. That's too overwhelming. It's trying to eat the elephant. You need those bite-sized pieces to ease yourself into it, to realize that actually I can do this just like marketing or just like sales or just like any other part of your business or your life actually can do this but when we start with those bite-sized pieces and do it consistently we actually start getting great results is that what you see with your clients and I suppose how you approach absolutely and you know and for women we are (laughs) it's funny and I think it's part of it because we've got have have that diffuse awareness as well because even when we go all right let's pick one thing to focus on or what's a goal that you want it's like well I have all these goals and it's like all right well you have to we went through this yesterday because again you have to pick just one and we struggle just to you know just pick one it's like okay you can't you're not an octopus you don't have like you can't (laughs) let's pick one to get started break it down into little chunks absolutely as what you've said and then work on it little by little and it's the same sort of thing like we say to ourselves a lot of people don't get ahead financially because for example they go oh well I'm living pay to pay and there isn't really any room in my cash flow at the moment um, to do anything else so I need to be earning more before I can change anything And the reason that we think that is because we have a look at our bills and we go, well, all of the bills that are coming in, they're all necessities. And I don't see any one item that I can remove that's going to create this space for me. Mm. What we don't realize is that a lot of the time, it's exactly as you said, it's those small purchasing decisions that we're making on a regular basis that are then compounding to making us sort of get into that overspending. Yeah. And as an example, when I was on maternity leave with um, my son, who's now five, but um, I used to cope by, because he was not a sleeper and he was a screamer. And, you know, so I would then just get through the day by going, all right, I need to escape the house. And I would go and escape to the mall because I'm like, all right, well, he's still not sleeping, but at least I've got some other stimulation for my brain. If you had asked me, Tash, do you spend a $1,000 a month at Kmart? I would have been like... No, no, I have never, I have never in my life spent that amount of money. What are you talking <laughs> But when I went and looked at it, because I would go every day to the mall and I'd go, oh, there's this little five, I'd only spend five, ten, fifteen dollars. It was only a couple yeah. of things here and there and I'd go get a coffee. But because I did it every single day, do you know what? There's 30 days in a month. Uh, it's pretty easy to rack up that $1,000. You said that magic word Kmart. Every listener right now is nodding and hell, yes, if I was going to Kmart, every day I would be spending that money completely. Yeah, but you didn't realise. And Kmart was one of those places where, because everything seems so cheap that it's, you know, I love all the memes that it's like, well, I only bought things that were 3 or $5 and there was 180 yeah. at the, ca- the cash register at the checkout. Every time. Every single time. So, so, and that's the main thing to remember. So everything around shifting your financial situation, it's within your power. And a lot of it is just small little changes that you need to make. You don't need to become a financial planner overnight and the, you know, wizard with all this money stuff. It's just about going, okay, I need to, what is it that I want to create first and foremost? Yeah. Getting really specific so you break it down so that you know for each week how much you're aiming for. Then it makes it so much easier because we have a habit of making really big bold statements around, you know, well, I just want to be financially free. I just want to not have to worry about money. I just want to create, you know, a great life for my children. That is great, but that doesn't really tell me what specifically that means to you. Mm. Okay, so if you're saying, well, I want to be, 
not, I don't want to have to worry about money. Okay, well, let's stop and break that down and go, what would it take for you to not feel stressed out about your bills? Mm. Okay, well, that might mean I need to have a certain amount in my emergency savings, or it might mean I need to have a $500 buffer each month in my cash flow, and then I'll feel less anxious about it. Now it's not so hard to achieve. Now you know exactly what it is that you're after and you can go and break it down and voila, you've gone and done it. But as long as it's a big, bold, massive statement that you haven't really broken down into what it means, it's going to be really hard to achieve. So, yeah, just as you said, keeping it small and simple, one step at a time, pick one thing that you really want to work on and if you're struggling to get yourself to do it, just taking a little bit of time, even if it's when you're having a shower, whenever you've got a second to yourself to just go, let me feel the emotion. What is it that I'm feeling beneath all of this? And yeah. then you can consciously start to go and address it. Do you know one thing that really I was thinking about when you were saying about Kmart, um, one thing that really shifted the way I spent money for me was I was reading Emma Isaac's book from Business Chicks, Winging It, and she said in there, and this was something that shifted her money mindset, was she will always ask, do I need that or do I want it before she buys something? Mm -hmm. And that's made an enormous difference for me because I realized I bought a lot of things that I just wanted but didn't need, and it Mm -hmm. stopped me buying so much in Kmart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's helped me make some really much more serious decisions. So it can be the simple little questions that you ask yourself and then drilling into the goals and being specific about re-engineering those steps and having simple steps that can really shift where you're at without having to suddenly earn significantly more money in your business or do significantly more complex things financially to get the result that you're looking for. Absolutely. And we so often we get caught up in the whole, well, when I earn more and when I have more. The thing is that we're wired in such a way that as soon as we earn more, hey, we spend more. You know, the person on a $50,000 salary goes, God, if I earned 200 grand a year, the things I would do, I would be mortgage free and I would have all, you know, I'd be free of any money worry. And then I look at all my clients that earn $200,000 and they at that point go, oh, I can now afford to live in a bigger house. I can now go and buy a nicer car. So because our mindset shifts and a lot of it is driven by that emotion underneath it. So I love the question around do I need it or do I want it, but it requires you to want to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. So part of the thing is that we are biologically wired to make financial decisions based on emotion. And so emotion will override logic logic every single time. But the thing is that we're also really clever creatures. So we are really good at justifying how a want is actually a need. So we can then get into that whole, well, I'm going to mask. I don't want to admit to myself that this is actually an emotional purchase. And I see it a lot of the time, even with things like cars and houses, because we will justify that it's a necessity. I don't know, but we need that. And I look at it and I go, okay, I have one client who is on a high income and he and his wife have a one-year-old and they have upgraded from a four-bedroom house to a six-bedroom house because kids take up so much room. (laughs) I go, right. And then I look at the families that I know who, because they're more focused on, you know, their greater priority is, for example, to be debt-free or to be able to travel or whatever is more of a bigger value for them rather than that status and recognition that you'd get from the bigger house. Yeah. You know, 
they're there with, you know, two teenagers living in a two-bedroom apartment. So how do you compare that I've got people who have one baby and think that, you know, four bedrooms isn't enough for them? And on the other hand, there's families that go, and we have the same thing in our place. Every single time, you know, so I've got two kids and we're both pregnancies, we've got a three-bedroom house and people would go, so when are you getting a bigger place? And then with the next baby, so when are you getting a bigger place? And where's the baby going to go? And what about when they're older? I'm like, have you heard of bunk beds? It's a good thing. (laughs) They can go in bunk beds. Oh, but they're a boy and a girl and it's not. I'm like, okay. Oh, but then, you know, when they're 15, 16, they'll want separate bathrooms. Like, right, so when you're on maternity leave and on a reduced income, you're going to go and get into more debt because in 15 years your kids might want a second bathroom. Well, that doesn't make, on a mathematical level, that doesn't make sense. But so many of us go and do it because there's an emotion that's then pushing us to do it. And that emotion might be the impact that all of my friends have made coming and saying, well, when are you going to go and get a bigger place? And now my self-confidence is affected and I'm going, oh, well, then what does it say about me if we haven't done that? People are going to think that, you know, I'm a failure or that we're not doing well or that something else is going on. So that might be something that pushes me to go and buy a bigger place when it's not necessarily the right decision. But I've now gone and taken a want and I've justified it as being a necessity. So much wrapped up in this, isn't there? It is. That's why I love it. It is absolutely fascinating work. And Mm. when you overlay it, you know, with neuroplasticity and all the latest research, like it is just absolutely fascinating stuff. But what excites me, is really that knowledge that you don't have to be a high income earner to go and have financial freedom. When you can come to accept that, that it's literally all about your values and priorities. Because again, the research shows when you go and get that new house, in a few months, let's say maybe six months, you have gotten used to it. You no longer appreciate the house and no longer brings out those emotions that it did when you were first going and buying it. Yeah. Without recognising, it's the same impact as, you know, going and buying a top on a Friday afternoon because, you you know, you've had a crappy week and you want to feel better about yourself. You know, it'll give you that temporary boost, but it's retail therapy. It's going to go and wear off. And the sooner you <laughs> go... i crushing my dreams here, Tish. I know, but the sooner <laughs> you go and realise that, you will become that much freer. So for me, my aha moment was when I worked, you know, back at... KPMG, hopefully none of them are listening and will take offense. <laughs> um, but it just, it wasn't a job that fulfilled me. You know, I was, I had all the status. I had a great income. I was traveling around Australia, you know, we'd get to stay in five-star hotels, all that sort of thing. It was the sort of thing that once upon a time, like when I first came to Australia, I was like, oh God, I would just aspire to that. If I had that, I would be the happiest person on earth. The thing is that, and I love talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs because, so for those who don't know, so Maslow is a psychologist who in the 1940s basically um, put out a paper that explained what he believes motivates us as human beings. And he's found that as people, we are motivated by getting our needs fulfilled. And as soon as one need is fulfilled, we then move on to wanting the next big thing. So it starts off as a pyramid as far as at the very basics, you know, we need We need food and water. You know, we need the very basic stuff to survive. After that, we need safety and security. Then it comes, well, I need love and acceptance and I need relationships. And then it comes, well, I need professional achievement and recognition. 
the thing is in Australia, it's fairly easy to go up that pyramid and achieve all of those things. And then the question becomes, well, what's going to fulfill me? And that's where I was doing work that wasn't fulfilling me. Mm. In the end, it made me then want to overspend because I was trying to find fulfillment in sort of an excitement and happiness by going on an expensive holiday, by getting a new car, by getting a bigger house. Mm. But what I was finding is that that happiness was short-lived and then it would just keep propelling me to spend and spend more. So it's a really, yeah, it's a really fascinating area. I can really relate to that because there's some similarities between our backgrounds. You know, we've both um, worked for KPMG. We both run two businesses. I remember back in my investment banking days, retail therapy at lunchtime was a thing that kept me going with ridiculous hours and pressure and stress. So I'm nodding my head as you're talking all about that. I just want to touch on very quickly, and I think this is kind of the answer is probably really obvious now, but so you run two businesses, um, founder and director of Sober Financial. So you are a qualified accountant, mortgage broker, financial planner. You had all of those things going on. And I'm assuming, making the assumption here, that Sober Financial was your first business. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So then it makes sense to me why you started Women With Sense. And when and listeners, when I say Women With Sense, it is C-E-N-T-S, not S-C-N-S-E. Yeah. We love our pun on the word. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, when did you make that move to start another business? And what, you know, I think I can understand the driving force behind it, but what was going on in Sober Financial that made you think, right, it's a great idea to start a second business because I'm not already busy enough? Yeah. So basically when I started Sober Financial, I started off with just wanting to help young Australians be smarter with their money and help them own their first home. Mm-hmm. And finance being so heavily regulated, I was like, well, if you want to talk to them about offset accounts, you need to be a mortgage broker. If you want to talk about this, I was like, all right, right. I'll go and get accredited with everything and we'll have like one house stop. But it was Mm -hmm. always my main focus and passion was around that education piece. And then when, as luck would have it, so I had been putting off starting my business because I wanted to have kids one day and I was like, well, I'll do the business afterwards. And I had health issues and one day I just went, who knows when that's going to be. It really makes no sense for me to continue putting this off. I'm just going to start my business today. Within three months I was pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) And, but again, I'm such a big believer now that in things happening for a reason, because if my son hadn't been born, I don't think that women with sense would have come to exist. So what happened was, Facebook groups were really just starting to emerge at that time. And I started finding that there was like a Facebook group for mums for just about every topic under the sun except money. So formula feeding and disposable nappies and anything you can think of, there was a Facebook group for it. But there was nothing really focusing on money. And so what was happening is that women were then turning to mothers groups and asking for financial advice. Mm-hmm. But finance is so heavily male-dominated that there weren't really any qualified professionals in these groups to sort of go, is that advice right? Because quite often people were either telling each other things that were simply factually incorrect. There were other times where the advice just was really risky or really not appropriate for that person in that situation. And so I reached out to them and said, well, how about we set up a separate group where we can actually just talk about money? And then from that, I started running workshops and we did it for mums. Like there was a local cafe we'd book out on a Sunday afternoon. I had someone to do arts and crafts with the kids and we'd go and sit down and talk for an hour about super or mortgages or whatever. 
And yeah, and it just sort of started growing from there. I started having women from interstate message me and go, can I buy your slides? Like, how do I become a part of this? And I don't have any kids, so can I still join? And I thought, all right, well, let's go then put it online so that it can be accessible to everyone. And yeah, and that's sort of how women would sense grew. But I was always in two minds about merging the two businesses because Sober Financial is where I do the personal financial advice, the mortgage broking, the accounting coaching, anything like that. And especially given you know, everything that's been happening in the world of financial services, I really wanted women to have a safe place that they can turn to where they can A, learn about money without fear of judgment and ask questions openly, but also not be worried about someone having a conflict of interest. Because like I think about every investment seminar that's out there, everything, there's someone at the back of that's trying to sell you some sort of financial product or some sort of investment. And I thought I really want women with sense to be different from that and just to remain totally separate from Sober Financial. So you'll never find me promoting Sober Financial in Women With Sense. I'm never, I do get women reaching out and I do help them with their personal finances, but my main focus is giving you the power and the knowledge for you to know what you need to do. And you can then go and engage any professional that you want whenever you're ready to do it. But, and that's how it sort of evolved so that it was sort of two separate entities and they sort of operate in, two very different ways. I love that. And I think when you're talking, I'm kind of thinking about the Barefoot Investor, I read Barefoot Investor and love that book. And I think one of the things, two things that you've talked about today are the reasons why I loved it is because firstly, it just broke down the big elephants into bite-sized pieces and made it really accessible for everyday Joes to just get stuck in and get a great impact. And also that it... um, was there was no hidden agenda there was mm. nobody in that book was trying to sell you into anything so it felt trustworthy so yes. i think it makes complete sense and your branding and your you know the two businesses are wildly different right which makes yep. complete sense play on words yeah. <laughs> so let's talk more about your money space at your guru space sorry money you know yep. what i found over the last sort of 12 years of business coaching is that often women aren't paying themselves in their business either at all or they're certainly not paying themselves regularly they don't necessarily have a handle on their business and or personal finances. And they're just not taking money as seriously as I think many men do. Now, mm. I know that those are big generalizations and some people are going to be wangling their finger at me and, you know, tutting at that. But I've coached a lot of women in the last 12 years. So I see this happen time and time again, particularly paying themselves. Why do you think that is? And what impact do you think that mindset has on women financially and, and just more broadly? I think part of it is in the way that we value ourselves, which then comes from the way society perceives us and values us. So I see a lot of women that even though they have their businesses, they're not really taking themselves as seriously. Like they're, you know, they're a qualified professional. They're really good at what they do, but they're somehow still talking themselves down like, oh, but I'm just a mum, and this is just a part-time thing or And so often they'll either end up treating it essentially as like a hobby and Mm -hmm. a side business, even though it's not. Um, The other part of it is it can turn, I I got into this trap as well, where it can turn into a little bit of a habit as well, as far as if you're used to never getting any money out of the business, because initially you're in startup phase and all that sort of stuff, and you're leaving anything in there, you kind of get used to working for free. And especially if it's something that you love, Um, it can be really easy to do it and we can feel uncomfortable charging clients for our time 
will undercharge a lot because it's like, oh, but I love what I'm doing and I, you know, and I really want to help everyone. And then we'll say, well, a lot of people can't afford this and that sort of thing. So we can continue to, and this is again, where it comes back to our money stories and the money chatter that goes in, that we can start to sabotage our cash flow yeah. uh, from that point of view, because we just aren't charging appropriately for our time because we're not valuing our time. And if you think about women, you know, the amount of hours that we spend doing unpaid work and volunteer work and that sort of thing, we are, it's almost ingrained in us that, you know, we're expected to work for free. So it's something that we need to, and I've had to work on that. Like it took a lot for me to, you know, increase my prices and and that sort of things. Like I started off running a business that just wasn't financially viable. And it took me realizing that, hang on, if I don't make enough money from this to cover the expenses of the business, and if I don't make enough money from this to look after myself personally and to you know pay the mortgage and to look after my family, I'm not going to be able to do this mm-hmm. and I'm not going to be around to continue to help and serve my clients. So that was the realisation in the end that gave me the kick up the bum to go, you know what, I do need to increase my prices and I need to charge properly and, you know, and I need to get more, you know, assertive about my business. Um, but then it also becomes about superannuation as well for women. Now, superannuation, I will say most self-employed people, unless they're operating through a company and paying themselves a wage where they're legally forced to pay themselves super, most self-employed people don't pay themselves super. For women, it's even more of a big issue because as it stands, we end up earning less than men, we have less super than men, we take more time out of the workforce than men. So it's more of a big deal for women. It's a big deal for everyone, but it's even more so for women. So Mm -hmm. it's something that we just have to get used to just putting as part of your cash flow and as part of your overhead. So even if you don't want to be and you're you don't feel like you're ready or you don't need to be paying yourself, you know, a wage right now, at the very least starting to go and pay yourself a super contribution as a starting point. So at least you put it, because think about why you're doing this business. You're doing it for the future. Well, then now is the time because the power of compounding will say to you that if you start putting away a little amount now, that's going to grow to a much larger sum over a long term than you waiting another 10 years yeah. to then go and have to create two or three times as much money to go and put it into super. And I mean, I was having a chat to a lady yesterday who she and her husband had been self-employed their whole lives and they're now approaching retirement with no super because they never paid themselves super. Ouch. And so it's now about, well, okay, well, we don't, we don't want to be having to rely on the age pension and you're not going to be getting much from it anyway what are we now going to do? We're 61, we're 64 years old. Now what do we do? And so they're now looking at the reality of either having to have to adjust and get used to relying on the age pension or having to sell their home to downsize. And they're like, oh, but we really don't want to do that. Like, well, unfortunately, you know, it's either that or, I don't know, the kids move back in with you, but there isn't, you know, there isn't any other magic bullet out there. Yeah, it's limited options by that point. So what I want women in business now then to realize that don't be that couple, you know, don't, that's every self-employed person goes and does that. And maybe the plan is that you will go and sell that business for the time retirement comes. But do you know what? That's a really risky plan Mm. because that business may not be worth as much as you think. There may be other outside factors. Like for example, looking at the financial planning industry, there's people whose the value of their businesses has been practically written off. Yeah. 
just because of changes in rules and changes in the market and those sorts of things. So that's not going to be a safe backup plan for you. Mm. So one of the safest things that you can do is then say, okay, well, I'm just going to start putting away a small amount. Even if it's start off with 50 bucks a month, if that's all you think you can achieve. Yeah. Just start getting into the habit of setting some money aside for the future. And that's the thing. It's just having that discipline. I've always been a company since I started out as a business owner. So I have always paid myself super. But I've, I've talked about this a lot on my webinars about how I've always paid myself from the very start. And it could be that you're just paying yourself a hundred bucks a week. And it doesn't have to be that the amount you're paying yourself is actually what you can live off of, but starting to have that discipline that every Friday lunchtime you pay yourself or whenever it is. And for regardless of how much it is acting as if you were working in a bigger company with staff, having that responsibility and just running that payroll because there's a mindset shift that comes with doing that. And then what I talk about is from a sales and marketing point of view is when you, let's say, for example, you're paying yourself 500 bucks a week, then you start the week thinking about, okay, well, I don't have that money to pay myself yet. So what do I need to do in terms of marketing and sales to actually get that 500 bucks? And you approach your activity and your productivity in a completely different way. So it has a knock-on effect in terms of what you do in your business, then how you pay yourself. And then from your point of view, the money mindset that you need to be successful personally and professionally, that they work hand in hand very importantly, I think. Absolutely. Because I know so many women in business who they'll hire VAs or they'll have casual staff or whatever. And guess what? You manage to find the money to pay those employees. Exactly. So many small business owners, they will go and pay their staff and they won't pay themselves. Yeah. And it's like you have to make yourself a non-negotiable. Think of it in terms of if there's no other way that you can bring yourself to think about it, something that I've said to my clients is think, just assume that the government has increased tax rates on you. Mm. What would you do if income tax rates increased? Oh, well, I'd, you know, I'd be upset and I'd whinge about it, but essentially I'd have to find a way to make it work. It's like, there yeah. you go. So <laughs> if you just have to make it a non-negotiable. And as you said, you will feel such a difference in your self-confidence and the way that you see yourself if you're actually getting paid for the work that you do in your business it'll just yeah. it'll shift that from it being a hobby to it being something that needs to be financially viable and is a real legitimate thing Exactly. And such a big difference. I talk about hobby businesses a lot. I think I loved your point that you made earlier on that just because you're running an inverted commas hobby business doesn't mean that you're any less qualified. You've got professional women out there with amazing backgrounds and huge amount of skills and expertise, but are essentially running a business that looks like a hobby on paper because they're not thinking about how they're running it, what they're doing, looking after the financials of their business. And there's a big shift. And it's a shame to see people go down that path because often that business then crumbles and there wasn't any need for it to be like that. Now, you have recently written a wonderful book called The Wonder Woman's Guide to Money. Uh, I've touched on Barefoot Investor. There are a lot of money management books out there in the market. Why did you write this and how is it different from the rest? So this I've written for two reasons. One is I first of all felt that as women... There's so much information out there telling us what we should do with our money. And so, and the barefoot example is a, a barefoot uh, investor is a great example of it. And it's, as you say, it's popular because it's great. It breaks it down and you don't have to think about it. And it's just follow these steps. Mm. That's not always in your best interest because not, there's no one size fits all when it comes to money. 
And often then, because we have so many people in our ears, we're then going, well, I don't really know who to listen to. Like Scott Pape said I should do this and then this other expert said I should do that and and I don't know and it just gets too much. So I wrote a book which is essentially like a really good companion guide to the Barefoot Investor because I break down the stuff that he talks about in there and I talk you through how to make those financial decisions, what you need to know and what you need to be factoring in so that you can then decide what's the right move for you and so that you can decide if you go and engage an expert, is this the right advice for me? Is this the right you know, expert for me? Am I being taken? Because there's a lot of fear around being taken advantage of. It's like, okay, well, if you understand the basics, you will know if someone is trying to sell you something that's a dud. So that was one of the reasons that I did it. And the other reason was to help women push past that mental load. So I've got an entire chapter where I talk about the mental load and I share my story just around how you have to and how you can break out of it and looking at tools to help you identify how you are with money. You know, if you're overspending, what are the reasons behind that? So I wanted it to be something that's really short and sweet and really practical. So there's stuff in there that you can go and download. So there's worksheets and calculators and things because I didn't want you just to be overwhelmed with financial information and then not know what to do with it. It's literally like a step-by-step. Now that you understand this, here's how you can go and do something with it and here's how you can review where you're currently at. So, yeah, I just wanted to find a way that made it easier for women to access this stuff because I do webinars and I do classes, but, again, I hear, you know, but I can't find the time and, you know, and 8 o'clock at night I'm too tired and whatever or I'm busy with the kids on the weekend. I was like, well, what's another way that I can sort of help women? And so the book was essentially my answer to that. Brilliant, because what I'm hearing there is one, you're keeping it simple, but two, you've got rid of all the excuses that we all come out with to not get our heads around this stuff. Because I was watching your social media yesterday, you ran a workshop in Canberra yesterday, didn't you? I love the pictures of post-it notes and that were they, they were limiting beliefs about the things. Yeah, so we did an exercise about just first of all, going and identifying what beliefs do we have around money what self-talk do we have around money and breaking it down into positive and negative and then we did it on post-it notes so that we could physically let go of all of those money beliefs that are not serving us all that negative stuff that goes money is dirty if I have money then it means I'm greedy if um or money is too stressful to manage I could never save money is easy come easy go all that sort of stuff that we can just go and we actually looked at it and said okay now that we've identified what it is, where did this belief come from? Who told you that you could never have that? Who told you that money is dirty or that it's a bad thing or that you could never hold on to it? And really starting to think about how our upbringing and how outside influences have started to impact on the way we think and feel about money. And yeah, and then we just, I love that page because it's so full of post-it notes and just all this stuff that we were just letting go and going nuts. But when you look at it, you go, wow, that's a lot of negative self-talk, isn't it? There was just so much of it. Yeah, that's me, that's me, or that resonates with me. It's a really good visual of I'm sure everybody that looked at your social media was nodding at that point. And I really love that from a business point of view, you've really looked at how you can make your expertise 
really accessible to everyone. You literally are doing all of the different things, you know, bringing that message in so many different ways. Book online courses, there's freebies. We'll talk about those at the end of the podcast. Workshops, you have your own podcast. You're coming on podcasts like this. You are just spreading the word everywhere brilliantly, which brings me really nicely onto something else that I've strong-armed you into doing. I'm so pleased that you said yes. Now, listeners, for those of you that might be nodding to everything that Tash is saying today and thinking, yep, that's me, or geez, you know, I really need to take care of my finances better, or I really need to upskill in this space. I'm very, very pleased to say that Natasha is this month's Shine Masterclass expert. So she's going to be talking us through how to become a money savvy wonder woman, which I love the sound of. So during this online live masterclass that she's running for us, we're going to discover why it's so important for women to take control of their money, how you can become more confident with making financial decisions, common money mistakes and how to avoid them, the four keys to building wealth and the five must-have components of a successful plan, which um, I'm just like, yes, I'm going to need pens at the ready and lots of paper because I'm going to be writing a lot of notes during that masterclass. So listeners, if you'd like to join us for that masterclass, all you need to do is head over to the recording, uh, listen to the recording, just head over, sorry, If you would like to join us to listen to the masterclass or grab the recording, just head over to the show notes, busybusinesswomen.biz forward slash podcast 43. Click on the link to shine, sign up, and we're going to welcome you into the tribe and you'll be able to join us on that class. Okay. Now, before I let you go, a couple of quick questions, Tash. I love to get productivity hacks out of our guests. And you've got two businesses, children, lots of different things to juggle. You know, we've talked about the mental load as well. I'd love to know what strategies and tech you use to manage your time and be as productive as you are. Yeah, so I've had to rely on a lot of back-end automation just to make things run as seamlessly as possible. Mm-hmm. So I use things like Zoom and Active Campaign and ClickFunnels. Um, all of that integrates then into Stripe so that all of the payments are automatically done and I don't have to be doing anything manually so everything sort of gets sent off that way. Yep. And um, I use Calendly for people then wanting to sort of click and book a um, consultation or a free phone call and that sort of thing. It's Calendly. It's awesome, awesome, isn't it? (laughs) So, yeah, looking at a lot of that, I've got a lot of online um, surveys. So I used to use Wufu Forms and SurveyMonkey to sort of build um, financial questionnaires because I found that look, I really didn't want to be wasting an hour consultation by asking, you know, going through people's expenses and, you know, credit card limits and all that sort of stuff. So I found that as a really good tool to build a form that people could pre-fill. I knew exactly where they were at. You know, I'd ask them what are their goals, what are they expecting, what are they wanting out of the consultation so that I knew what their expectations were and we could focus on delivering that during yeah. their session. So that's something that I had from very early on and have continued to stick with. So uh, lots of automation. And then, so what do you do in terms of planning your day? How do you manage to juggle so many balls? Look, I am, one of my problems is that I do keep a lot of a mental tally from what I do because what I found is that when I put it down on paper, I, I just somehow the way I'm wired, I seem to triage things a lot better in my head because when I go and write it down, I get a bit overwhelmed with the number of things that are on there. And then I start going, oh, do I do this? For and, and then it just sort of derails me, which I know a lot of people go, you know, you should go and write lists. I'm, I'm good at keeping a mental list, but I do keep um, a good diary of what I need to be, where I need to be and what I need to be doing because I'm juggling 
a lot of stuff and then in between school pickups and those sorts of things. Um, just trying to think, what else do I use? But, yeah, I think one of the biggest ones was using things like Calendly just to sort of stream in, into my diary a little bit better. And I've had over the years, you know, virtual assistants and other people to sort of help me out. I use scheduling software, um, so Hootsuite for the social media stuff. Um, yeah. With Facebook, I if I do schedule, I usually try and use Facebook's own scheduler because I know it prefers its own system over other things that are out there. Yeah. So um, Canva, Canva's great for all the graphic design and social media posts. So I love using that as well. Oh, me too. And, um, and I've got a WordPress website. So I've basically set it up into a few templates so that it's really easy for me to go and publish a blog and just I'm getting more and more into the space of how can I easily repurpose content. So things like doing, you know, a video stream that can then be um, have the audio extracted to then go and be a podcast and then be turned into a blog and and all that sort of stuff because otherwise you get into, A, you run out of time, but you also get into sometimes creative blocks where it's like, oh, I need to do some posts, but I just have no inspiration this week. So it's like, all right, well, I do a lot of content stuff. Let's look at, you know, what can I do? How can I best put that to use? Oh, it's just one of the best productivity hacks, I think, really, in repurposing. I could run a whole podcast just talking to you about repurposing. It's so valuable. And for any of our listeners who aren't doing it yet, go and get your blog posts, turn them into social media posts, turn them into a podcast if you have one. Go yep. and do a Facebook Live on the topic. Like, There's so many different ways to do it, but you don't need to be chained to your desk creating content all the time. Yeah, and we seem to think like, oh, but I've already spoken about that. People will be sick of it. The thing is that there's still a lot of people that don't see it. And I know even yeah. Denise Duffield-Thomas said, you know, she does she does a lot of stuff everywhere and webinars and emails and all that sort of thing. And still people didn't know she was doing a book tour and all that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff. So it's, it's really true. Don't um, think that you're overwhelming your audience with that information because A, they're going to need regular reminders of what you're talking about, but B, a lot of them won't have seen it. So going and reusing that sort of stuff and I'll even then go back if I'm really desperate I'll go back to stuff that I posted a couple of years ago and just sort of you know repost it again because do you know what I don't think anyone knows I haven't been busted yet yeah exactly I do exactly (laughs) the same I haven't just scheduled in to regurgitate yeah exactly no one's auditing your page and going excuse me Faye um you did that exact (laughs) post on the 23rd of November, 2015. Yeah. <laughs> and if they are, they probably need to focus on some other things. <laughs> okay. Now, I like to always finish off our podcast with quotes and mantras. I'm just wondering, is there any, is there a quote or a mantra that's really inspired you over the years that, you know, boosts you into action or just gets you in the right headspace when you need to be? I try and live by, I think it's Richard Branson who said, if someone offers you an opportunity say yes and then figure out how to do it because we yeah, yeah. so often we go oh, yeah but I don't know if I'm ready there like the amount of stuff that I've done that I was never ready for I was never ready for a podcast I was never ready to do live tv or live radio or you know like yeah. but I would always it's become my thing that people go can you come and do this and I'm like yes I can <laughs> <laughs> but I will figure it out Someone said to me recently that um, she felt like she was asking for business advice, but I I loved the phrase that she used. She said, I feel like I'm building the plane while I'm flying it, which (laughs) ties in nicely with what you've just said, because I do the same. I say yes, 
and figure it out afterwards. And so often I'm in a place of discomfort and I'm flying by the seat of my pants, but exactly the same. Like I've done things as a result of that, that I would have never said yes to if I'd have given myself more time to think about it. Absolutely. And I think it's an even bigger thing for women because they found that, for example, even with looking at job applications and promotions, like women will typically, you know, we're perfectionists. We sort of want to have ticked 10 out of 10 on that selection criteria before we'll even think about throwing our hat in the ring. Yeah. And, you know, and you think about it from a business point of view, we would then, you know, you'd never be growing because you'd forever be waiting until you're ready. And the thing is you might never be ready. So it's about, you know, as they say, feel the fear and do it anyway. And then and yeah, and that's how you'll stretch and, and grow and great things will happen for you. I love it. You're a very inspiring speaker. Um, I'm just mindful of time. Like we could literally go on for hours, but I'm going to have to draw this to a close. I'm super stoked that you said yes to doing the Shine Masterclass because I'm going to be able to talk a lot more during that. Uh, but for the moment, for, li- for the lovely listeners, if you would like to get in contact with Natasha and follow the fabulous work that she's doing, and I really recommend you do, All of our details are going to be in the podcast show notes, which are at busybusinesswomen.biz forward slash podcast 43. You can also go to her website, which is women with sense. Remember that's C-E-N-T-S dot com dot A-U. And she's also on Facebook, women with sense and your group as well, because you've got a fabulous Facebook group. What's the link to that? We'll put it in the show notes. So the Facebook group is limited to people who go and sign up to our newsletter and budget organiser because I want to make sure that women are being committed to what they do. So if you go to womenwithsense.com.au, you can register. You'll receive an awesome budget organiser that I put together with the feedback of our community. And you will then be sent a link inviting you to the group so that that way, because what I found was when I opened the doors, we had a lot of people there that, we're just sidetracking the community and the conversation. So we've gone, do you know what? That's fine. You don't have to sign up if you don't want to. But if you are really committed to your finances, then come on in. Great strategy. I love it. And if you're looking for that budget organizer, just go to Tasha's website, womenwithsense.com.au. It's very easy to find as soon as you hit the website. Tash, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, every time, it's only the second time I've spoken to you, but every time I feel like we could just talk for hours. You're my kind of lady and I really appreciate your time today. So thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave us with before I let you go? Well, I'll just leave you with my slogan and catchphrase, which is just remember that your future depends on what you do today. I love it. And for those of you that are listening to the podcast but not watching the video, Tash has just shown us that she's got a mug with that on as well, which is awesome. You need to go and watch the YouTube video too. Absolutely. So every day when I go and have my morning cuppa, that's sort of kicking my butt into gear and reminding me of what I need to do. Is that a Women With Sense mug or is that just happens to be your mug? No, no, this is especially our, um, yeah. This is our very own mug. So women who come to my workshops or go to our events, um, they'll often then be gifted this as part of the goodie bag. I'm going to get my hands on one of those mugs and I'm going to come to one of your workshops because you've also got the same branding colour as me. It's just a match. I know. I love it. We're so much in sync. So, yeah, I totally agree. I could chat to you all day as well. So, But we'd best get on with getting a little bit of 
other work done as well. Exactly. Well, thank you so, so very much. I really appreciate it. Uh, Listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode, I would love you to leave us a little review on iTunes and let us know what you enjoyed about this episode. And if you'd like to hang out some more, I'd love to see you over on Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Busy Business Women and you can find oodles of biz building goodness on my website at busybusinesswomen.biz. So thank you so much for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. I love hanging out with you. I will be back again very, very soon with more inspiration to help you build a business that booms. But until then, you've been listening to Natasha Jansen's from Women With Sense and I'm Faye from Busy Business Women. Have a fabulous day. Bye-bye.